Welcome to the Prodigal and the Priest podcast, a podcast about faith, sports, and two friends from different cultures. Here are your hosts, Joey Scansella and Father Paul Bechter. Good morning, everybody. Hey, hey. What up? It is rainy in Texas. Yeah, and getting cold, too. It's supposed to get cold tonight, right? It's like in the 60s. It's already cold. It's, it's <laughs> funny what Texans consider it was, the cold. You were you just came like back from D.C., yesterday. right? I How did. was the weather there? Pretty nice. What's they pretty nice? It, I yeah. don't know. Like 70s? <laughs> high? Six, 60s, and, yeah. High of 70s, low of something in the 40s. I love that little crisp of the air, you know, when it gets the real fall weather. Yeah. And I'm not trying to be insulting to Texans. It's just like growing up with that and knowing you're getting closer to winter. Winter was one of my favorite seasons. Not winter like ice storms or snowstorms because I hated shoveling or putting out, Mm. you know, salt on the, you know, driveway, all that stuff. I'm talking though when it was like you go out, see your breath, look at the stars. I just love that crisp night air. Yeah. I like the crisp. Um, it was you had a lot of it in Bermuda. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It wasn't, it wasn't all that crisp in DC, but it was more crisp than it was here. When I got back here, it was kind of hot and humid. Um, DC was surprisingly nice. Like I'd been there for the March for life as a seminarian. DC, like, just close your ears. DC is <laughs> garbage, man. Come on. What? You what? say that about everything that I love. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that that but san antonio dc dc <laughs> it's not even a state it's true like and more power to them because neither is bermuda <laughs> that's why you like it now it makes perfect sense that's why you like dc but the the thing that's confusing is that's like our nation's capital it's not a state yeah it's supposed to be a a non like sort of an extra state reality so that one state doesn't have too much influence. Yeah, but that's just not true. Then then apply that to Texans. They would never believe that because they believe they're like, you know, they're always like, we can secede from the union and we're going to nuke everybody. You, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, like they can. say things like, I know, but like every time I'm <laughs> like, a, I, I just got to lot. Texas and they're like, you know, Texas can secede from the union. I'm like, yeah, got it. Like... And New Jersey was one of the 13 original colonies. Are we just saying facts to say facts here? Like <laughs> A little bit. You know? Wearing so, your Eagles hat. The New Jersey wearing my Eagles. Eagles hats. No, you know this. My dad's from the Philly area. Yeah, so that's why I'm an Eagles fan. It's all I'm the actually, same thing up there pretty much. I'm actually mourning my fantasy football loss because mm. I don't know if you... So Father Paul and I are in a fantasy football league. And for those who don't understand fantasy football, pretty much what it does is it assigns point values to things you do in football. Like you get a completion, you get yards, a pass, interception, you get negative points, a fumble, you get negative points. So I had a really good chance of winning. Mm. And then I faced this guy who had a player named Cooper Cup. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Who scored all these points. Uh But I was still up by eight. I had this slim chance because he had one player left. And this guy is a friend of ours. He's a listener of the show, so I'm not going to say his name. But he has one player left. But the only hope I have is that player is named DK Metcalf. 
Oh. And <laughs> DK Metcalf <laughs> is missing his game. quarterback, Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. He has Geno Smith, <clears throat> who is like a first-round bust, mm-hmm. you know. So there's a little bit of hope. Yeah, that's a real hope. And I was at Spanish Children's Ministry when my wife sends me a screenshot that reads, I just, I have was to pull it, it up. Like I have to, yeah, yards? I have to pull it up and just read because she knew, like, I was like, I have this little bit of hope in my life. It was like the first play of the game. Yeah. <laughs> it was really early. It was like the second play of the game, but DK Metcalf sheds tackler and takes off for 84 yard career long touchdown. <laughs> Which only, is like only 10 catch, points in itself. Om, almost only points. yeah, fifteen points 15 done. Points I was itself. I was up by eight. I'm done. But he only caught one other pass for like four yards the whole game. Mm-hmm. He doesn't catch that pass, and I win. Mm-hmm. That's what's infuriating. So let that be a lesson to you, everyone. This is why you shouldn't gamble. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I thought I'd talk about something interesting. We talked about it over the summer. Um, but, uh, Pope Francis's moto proprio, um, that came out. Um, I know this is something that was very, um, I don't know if the word would be hard, but, um, it was challenging for you at the time, I think Mm -hmm. when it came out because of, uh, background of your spirituality in that. And it's just been interesting for me to kind of see both sides of things that have happened with it. So, Um, if people don't know what we're talking about, let's go back a little bit. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Pope Benedict, right? Mm -hmm. He was the first one who, um, made the Latin mass more available for priests to say, correct? JP two had already made it more available, but yeah, Pope Benedict, um, do you know specifically what he may have changed or allowed or things? So this word moda proprio it means like coming from his own initiative. Basically it's, it's when the Pope issues kind of a statement um, and it's, it's got a particular force to it, Yeah, but it's not like a, it's not like a, we just had a synod. Now I'm, I'm issuing a letter kind of as a result of that. And it's not an encyclical letter, which is something kind of bigger meant to go around for the whole church. This is like specific issue, this thing. And Pope Benedict issued this motu proprio and said, like, all right, let's clear some stuff up about the extraordinary form, something a lot of people call the Latin Mass. Joey calls the what, what the, call the TLM. Um, what do you think? The Latin Mass. The Latin Mass. <laughs> like the Ohio State. The Ohio State. <laughs> um, traditional Latin Mass. It's got a lot of names, but basically the liturgy uh, of 1962 before the reforms started to come in. Which can I just say something Vatican like two. yeah. That's weird to me. Okay. You have the Latin Mass, <laughs> which they call traditional Latin Mass, mm-hmm. an English name. Then you have the like post Vatican II Mass that we call the Novus Ordo. <laughs> like it has a Latin name for like the normal kind of Mass and just a regular English name for the Latin Mass. Is that not like kind of ironic and funny? No, uh, it's, it's funny how it how it kind of settled out like that because <laughs> like, like you could call it the, the Novus Ordo and the Vetus Ordo. Vetus oh, okay. means the old order. Okay. 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 Um, oh, which that's a good, that's a, let's come back to that at so the like, end because that's, I think some, you could call it also the, yeah. the oozes antiquior. 
the yeah. more ancient use. It, all sorts of names that it gets, but for some reason... You guys go into the Uzus? <laughs> well, you could say Uzus. <laughs> yeah, it's no normal way, normal sounding go. way to say but it. But go ahead, yeah. So, so yeah, Pope Benedict uh, came out with that document, and I don't remember when it was, 2008, something like that. Yeah. Um, and it basically said, like, okay, here, here are the rules now. There's a lot of people who seem to want to use this, um, the, the extraordinary form, uh, both lay people who who want it available and priests who want to say it and this is the way it's going to work and it was uh it gave a lot of permission i guess right um to use the uh extraordinary form missile so the book that has the the ritual for saying mass in it as well as the um the roman ritual that's the book that has the the rituals for baptism for uh confirmation well priests yeah. aren't normally going around confirming people right. that's a bishop's right, thing right. but but other sacraments weddings um anointing of the sick confession those kind mm-hmm. of things so it basically it said like here's here's kind of a, a broad permission set uh to use these things and it it said it in a way that at least made me think it was kind of permanent um hmm. Not that like another pope couldn't change that because it was that a motu proprio. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. So like, motu proprios are sort of executive order ish, right? Because um, on the Vatican website, in case people didn't know, Vatican.va, right? You can <clears throat> see the catechism on there. You can see apostolic letters. It says um, apostolic letter issued motu proprio mm-hmm. in quotations by the Supreme Pontiff, mm-hmm. so Francis. Yes. And so they get different names. Motu proprio is like a type. Of apostolic letter, but um, the one that Pope Benedict issued was called Samorum Pontificum. Mm. Um, so they they always get Latin names. Uh, I don't even know what the current one's called. Oh, Traditiones Custodes. Yes. Um. So anyway, yeah. Earlier this summer, uh, Pope Francis issued this um, new motu proprio, and it's fairly short. It's like one page. From what I'm seeing on the Vatican, yeah, it it's always kind of you'll you'll get like the letter itself and then an explanatory letter along with the letter, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> which is kind of a funny thing if you're not used to seeing stuff like that, right? Um, and yeah, it was uh, it was it was kind of a strong thing. It was perceived um, as a very very sort of sudden, um abrupt move and uh was tough for for me and for a lot of people i know um who had made a lot of use of the samorum pontificum motu proprio from pope benedict mm-hmm. um and so what's a tangible example for you i i know this but like yeah. give me so, give me a like a maybe something that impacted your daily life sure so uh so priests are encouraged to say mass every day Right, we've gone over that before on a podcast that we're not required to for different reasons, but right, we're encouraged pretty much as strongly as you could encourage someone without right. actually requiring it. Right, uh, and that means that like even if I'm not assigned for a public mass, I'm encouraged to say a private mass, mm-hmm. and that's with the understanding that no mass is really private because you're celebrating with the entire church, including the angels and saints. Um, but uh, like when I was in Rome for three years as a priest, as a mm. student priest, I didn't have much pastoral ministry over there. 
Right. So I was saying a lot of private masses, and even on my day off here, when I was assigned to St. Anne, I would say a lot of extraordinary form masses as private masses. Right. Or with small groups, or for special occasions. Um, when you do a, a more solemn form of extraordinary form mass, you need like a couple priests involved. Yeah. Um, or it's easier if you if you do anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, so yeah, it was a it was a big part of my kind of more private spirituality, I guess, mm-hmm. without using that term too strongly. Yeah. Um, and I would pray. So the liturgy of the hours is something that a priest makes a promise to pray. Right. Um, and under Samorum Pontificum, Pope Benedict's motor proprio from 2008, you could use the old sort of form of the liturgy of the hours, the old breviary. Mm. It's a lot longer. You're praying the Psalms every week instead of uh, praying through all the Psalms every four weeks, which right. is the current one. Um, and you have to pray it in Latin and all this stuff. And I just, I got into that about 10 years ago. And, and you like different languages. You have different, th- you know, like, I yeah. loved it. Like no, nobody forced me to do right. it. There was, there was no compulsion or anything, but it was just kind of a, this is a direction that my spirituality took. Yeah. And I loved it. And it was a huge part of my day. Um, like hour and a half, two hours, something like that. Yeah. Of of my daily prayer <clears throat> was with that breviary. Um, the yeah. the liturgy of the hours, basically. Um and so with the there, there's a lot of nuances and interpretations and subtleties, but but basically with the new motu proprio, the Pope was saying, look, there's there's a lot of division right now. Mm. And so, and the permission that Pope Benedict gave in the hope of leading to greater unity uh, through people being able to use both ordinary and extraordinary doesn't seem to be working to solve those divisions. Whatever divisions uh, Pope Francis is seeing, he's he's saying they're not being solved. And so I'm going to restructure the whole thing. Um, and he did so in a way which was really, like I said, very, very sudden. And that's part of what made it so hard to take was that it was, right. it was immediately applicable. It didn't come out on a Thursday a or Friday was, and it was like the next day. Right? Yeah. It was like, like starting today. <laughs> right. So um, you had to like, I mean, obviously so you can I, find a breviary on your phone and all of that, but like yeah, you, and there's, you had to, like I said, there's, but some, you had to adapt very quickly. So it was very, you know, personal. You. Yeah. It, it wasn't. So it was, it was a big shock to me and I've got a, a sort of metaphor I've been working with that I'll share in a minute, but I think it was even a bigger shock to people who are involved in public ministry in mm-hmm. that way. Like imagine if, if our 8 a.m. mass every weekend was in the extraordinary form. And then that document came out on a Friday and you're like, uh, which he (laughs) made a distinction on that, right? Like that said, some communities were allowed to continue, right? It was a very, it was a very confusing document to understand how it applied in a lot of situations. And I think, I think that's led several months later to a lot of people sort of being like, okay, after that initial shock, uh, the bishop of the place often said, let's just continue things as they are. We're going to wait for some clarification on yeah. this. A lot of bishops said that. Not every bishop did. Some right. bishops said, well, 
Pope said it, it's gone. And right. sort of all the extraordinary form was gone in their diocese. Other ones made particular laws for their diocese saying like, uh, like there's, there's a principle in, in moral and kind of legal theology, I guess, called epikeia, mm-hmm. uh, which means like, like the law does not foresee this particular situation, so, so right. it doesn't apply there. And so there's bishops who have said like, like look, there's, there's a lot going on right now. Um, in my diocese that was not foreseen yep. uh, when this law was made. And so I'm going to adapt it in these ways. And I think that's, like I said, it's it's kind of hard to understand exactly how it all works. But I think a big part of this document was to give bishops the ability to do things like that. Yeah. Um, I, I'm which glad, which yeah. makes sense. I'm glad you said that point. That is, I was listening to a reflection from someone saying, take away the feelings of things, which it's always hard to do that yeah. because people come in with, you know, hurt and pain and feelings or some that are on the other side of excitement being like, yeah, take that. Like, because I, I will be honest as someone who is more charismatic in my spirituality, I do come across some that are like, Oh, what you're doing is not good. Or, you know, yeah. my, you know, at times what I'm like, Oh, what you're doing is not good, you know? And so the reflection I was listening from a bishop, I forget which bishop it was, but was just talking about the goal is to put it in the hands of the bishop and at least give them, yeah, continue to give them some authority. Now, I struggle with that because I'm like, why didn't they have that authority to begin with? They're the successor of the apostle, or didn't well, they, they? They they did. So, I don't know. It's That's, that's my best read yeah. of this as well. And I've said a couple times already that it's kind of confusing, and so I'm kind of hedging my bets and not yeah. trying to say like this is what the pope intended or anything cuz i right. i really don't know what he was looking at right because i see i certainly see divisions yeah um especially online if you ever <laughs> foray into that arena yeah but um but like i knew a lot of people who i thought had a really balanced approach mm-hmm. and i thought that i did myself and yeah. it feels like we got kind of cro- caught in the crossfire Right. Um, and maybe overlooked or maybe just collateral yeah. damage. It's hard to tell, right. but, but I, I wasn't part of right. you situations were never like, where, yeah. where I saw that deep, deep division that seemed to be like assumed as a right. premise in this document. Yeah. Um, and so what it felt like to me getting caught in the crossfire, and this is the image I've been working on is it's kind of like, like for the last 10 years, I had prayed 15 or 20 decades of the rosary, right? Like normally normally the rosary you would you would pray the five decades of one set of mysteries. So you like did like the a sorrowful full, mysteries. Yeah, yeah it, all the mysteries, but yeah. Yeah, it and that would I don't know, take about 15 minutes to do the to do one set of mysteries. To say a rosary takes about 15 minutes or so. Yeah. Depending on <laughs> where you're from and how fast you talk. Right. Um so if you expand that into something more in the realm of an hour, hour and a half, um, like that was, let, let's say like I prayed the rosary in that fashion where it would take me an hour and a half every day. And it was kind of a cornerstone of my prayer because you really don't have that much more time after that. Right. Um, it wasn't like I thought that I couldn't nurture my faith and draw close to Jesus and... Uh, praise him and worship him as he ought to be done. 
uh, another way. Mm-hmm. But I had a a real attachment to this particular way. Yeah. And being told like all of a sudden this thing is now forbidden or um, harmful or whatever, creating division. Yeah. It's kind of like being told <laughs> a lot of people are superstitious about Mary. Mm. Um and a lot of non-Catholics have problems with their understanding of Mary or their perception of it. And it creates a lot of division. Yeah. So let's nobody pray the rosary anymore. Um, but don't worry. Like you can, there's other Marian devotions you could do. Just not so, not so publicly. Right. Um, that's kind of what it felt like. It was, it was a real shock. Like just to all yeah. of a sudden um, this big change. And I feel like I've dealt with it pretty well. Yeah. Um in in my own way. Uh but I would say that that goes partially to your kind of gifts and strengths where I've seen a lot I've seen a lot more division from this where it's like it's interesting. Yeah. It's like Pope Francis is trying to address division and it just what almost affirm the division reading the Facebook comments and the posts and and some of those I'll be honest father and from priests. Like, yeah. like priests who are on social media and being like, this is ridiculous and this is the true liturgy and how dare Pope Francis and that, you know, and then the other side saying, no, this has caused division. And it, it has really been, I mean, yeah, it's, it's been interesting to take in as somebody who is never, you know, <clears throat> very active in the traditional Latin mass. Um, and we all know where my spirituality lies. Um, to me, it was like, oh, okay. But if you reverse it and he said, Hey, no more, you know, guitar or you can't, you know, I don't know, (laughs) you know, you can't enter into the spiritual gifts or I don't know, something like similar for me that Mm -hmm. is very, um, personal and, and just prevalent in my everyday spirituality. I can see where that struggle comes from. Now I want to address a few things. I've heard both sides and I'm curious your take on it of say, this was more because of like, uh, this is more addressing the division in the United States over this issue. Uh, Some have said this was more addressing the division outside the United States on this issue. I know it's like a best guess, but you know, that's one of the things we don't know as we're not Pope Francis, right? He was yeah. trying to address division, but he obviously didn't specify where that division is coming from. Have you have you heard any takes on that or thoughts on that? No, I mean, I don't know. Like, I yeah, I don't know. Like I said, it the the people I knew who were involved in extraordinary form stuff mm-hmm. um, were for the most part trying to bring about a sort of a synthesis in their own person, which, which I think is a, is a healthy way of approaching. Like anytime you have, (laughs) you have multiple things, you want to synthesize them in yourself. Like it's even, it's even what I've tried to do here, uh, getting more involved in charismatic spirituality and stuff like that. Like Mm -hmm. it's just, it's a natural thing to, to sort of like, evaluate and and kind of work through and process this stuff but then to form a synthesis and um i don't know i certainly don't have any friends from seminary or anything who like rejected the ordinary form and 
Vatican II gets brought into this, and like I don't know anybody who celebrated the extraordinary form who like rejected Vatican II, right? Or would ever say anything like that. So and, your and friends so, weren't the ones going around being like, "Well, we celebrate the true liturgy." Yeah, I mean, you know, because those are the comments going around is like, "Well, Pope, you know, Pope Francis taking I'm away just, the, the real mass." <laughs> yeah, I'm just not sure, like. Like what group he was looking at, so I don't know how yeah. to yeah. answer that question. I don't. I don't want to cop out of it and yeah. just be like, like I can't see from that perspective. But yeah, and I also I do want to give him the benefit of the doubt. I think that's a really important thing in in charity, yeah, <laughs> and in sort of filial respect as well. Like he is, he is the Holy Father. Yeah, um, he's your boss. Yeah, he's our boss. He's kind of my boss, yeah, kind of. but but he's more he's more your boss. Well, no, it brings yeah. me to kind of the um, question. We've had a question on the podcast before, um, like that somebody wrote in. We've we've never addressed it, but it was a question that was like, well, how do you really follow an authority figure when you disagree with what they're saying? Yeah, right? obedience, and right. it's what and and we're mean? not talking about something that's like. Um, I, I want to be clear. We're not talking about something that is like hurtful or um, abusive or some, right. something like that. Just want to put that out there. Right. But like sometimes my kids have to do things that they don't like and they hear mm. from me as a dad being like, we're going to do this as a family um, and they may not like it, but it's like, hey, I'm asking you as your dad, let's do this together. OK, as a family. Um you're right. We work in the church. Um, this uh, applies to us now, but even a layer deeper for you as like this yeah. really applies to you. I'm just curious, kind of that question to to people like, yeah, so what do you do? Mm-hmm. You may be unhappy with the decision. What do you do though? Yeah. No, I think the the image of like the father of a family is a really important one. That's my best understanding of like what obedience looks like in this situation. Right. Um, this and others. So they always told us in seminary that like the promises we make at ordination of, uh, for, for a diocesan priest, it's a promise to pray with and for the church. Um, a promise of celibacy, not to get married and a promise of obedience for religious, uh, they make vows of poverty, chastity, poverty. obedience, but you get a, obedience in both of them. You don't do and any poverty. Like, isn't there poverty is a thing? It's it's a stipulation in canon law. Okay, yeah, to live simplicity it. of life, right? Such yes. that people don't feel turned away by your your extravagance or whatever. Right, right, right. But it's not the same thing as poverty because poverty means you can't own anything, right? And you have to have some sort of central authority giving you money for toothpaste or giving you the toothpaste directly or whatever, yeah, yeah. if you're going to do that, that's what religious communities have, but Dawson priests don't. Um, that's so, why retirement, different things are on you. Yeah. We get a salary. We have to save up all this yeah, stuff. Great. Um, anyway, they always told us obedience would be the hardest one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, we were also like really encouraged throughout seminary to sort of, continue maturing in our relationship to authority figures. Cause like you can, you can sort of go through life with a very adolescent relationship towards authority. Um, right. But, but like all, even that image, all these images kind of take their origin from, from the family. And so I guess that's where I'm going with this is like when 
when I've come across I don't think I don't think I really struggled with obedience a whole lot in because it didn't affect me that much until I started to be put in positions of authority um, in uh, this parish here and now as vocation director I have to make all sorts of decisions and there are people who depend on me and I have to have a vision for what I think like right. like I have a certain level of authority now uh, which should be worked out as service towards the people who are dependent on me right that means that I want to act in such a way and make decisions in such a way that I am promoting their good, the ones mm-hmm. who are dependent on me. And so if there is a higher authority <laughs> that makes a decision that I don't think is the best decision for the good of the people who are dependent on me directly, right? that's when obedience starts to get really tough. Yeah. Because now it's like, it doesn't just affect me. It doesn't just sort of like pass by me either, but it affects people who are dependent on me. Right. And, um, and I feel like they're getting passed by or like, like there's all sorts of situations where that kind of thing can come up. Mm-hmm. And then you have to really dig deep into what is, what does obedience actually mean? This promise of obedience that I took to my bishop and his successors, that's a specific priestly promise. Right. But that extends also in a like general way to the Holy Father. Uh, and what I've found is that the most helpful attitude to foster is that I may not like it and I may not understand it, but I have had to make several decisions already that people sort of who are dependent on me have not liked or understood. And I couldn't tell them all the reasons why um, for for different things. It's it's very much like being the father of a family. The kids may not understand why, um, or they may understand why, and they still just don't like it. <laughs> um, or maybe it's not the best decision. Like a, a father of a family doesn't always make the best decisions. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa <laughs> Stay in your lane, bro. <laughs> like, right. And, and so there's a certain humility there in leadership as well. Yeah. And then when it comes to the structure of the church, you have the additional factor that like, we believe that the Holy spirit is animating the church, guiding the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that that sometimes happens, maybe often happens, in spite of the weaknesses and right. even um, errors in judgment and leadership, mm-hmm. just like the full humanity of the church. Right. Um, and so that's a complicated thing because it doesn't mean like every decision is the best decision. Um, right. But it does mean that like, as long as it's not to the point of, of actual like abusive yeah. use of power, right? Which like nobody should be held to the sort of filial respect when and and obedience. Let's yeah. say when there is a is a real abuse of power, power whether it's in a family or yeah. or elsewhere. But but as long as it's not abuse of power, like I have to respect that this is sort of my dad who's making a decision that I may not agree with. Mm. Um, 
or maybe it's because I don't understand it, or maybe it's because I do see it clearly and it's not the best decision, but it's his decision to make. Right. Um, and that's a hard thing, especially with kind of an immature sense of um, relationship to authority. Yeah. That can be a really hard thing to take. But that's also, so that that becomes then a moment of personal growth yes. um, and uh, maturation mm-hmm. um, in that respect to authority. Right. Um, but also a moment of growth in trust that is the Lord who guides his church. Right. Even in spite of the church's faults. Right. Um, just in the same way that I really do believe, like, I make mistakes all the time. Yes, I know. Every single day, constantly. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, sometimes uh, homilies are the easiest ones. Like, that, homilies are not sort of governance decisions in the right. same way. But, but, like, I've had so many experiences of giving a bad homily that I knew was bad. like like that i forgot everything i wanted to say and got just paralyzed and had to find a way out and somehow still went 25 minutes 35 minutes (laughs) later struggled my way to finish and then the lord works something incredible in somebody's heart um yeah no thanks to me (laughs) (laughs) like i know that god can do that and that god does that all the time and that's also true of governance decisions in the church like it's it's not saying like blindly accept everything as the best decision right because that's not how not how god guides us but that even if there is a bad decision god can make use of that right um and we would hope and assume and i can speak towards the father aspect but we would hope and assume that um you know pope francis knows things that we don't know Right, he's had experiences that we haven't had, right. and that he's so. Had I'm not saying that this is necessarily a bad decision. It right. It was hard right. for me. It yeah, was hard yeah, for yeah. people I knew. But yeah. um, I am saying that, like I, I think it's really important that we can't see everything that he sees, and we have to give some benefit of the doubt there before right. we're we're like, well, you know, this is definitely just uh, obviously such a bad decision. But don't worry, God can work uh, right. <laughs> even in spite of it. Yeah, like, and the, I think the thing that like frustrates me is like the group of people that then just bash and attack Pope Francis and be like, he's not the real Pope. Like, I mean, take it really yeah. far. And it's just, I'm like, you see this division he's talking about? Like, not, you know, like it, it's just sad to me. It's sad. Um, it's, a, it's a division, but it also it just feels so human. Like if you bring it back to a family again, like... Mm-hmm. like Kids don't react well. Teenagers don't react well. Um, yeah, little kids. No yeah. kids, I guess. There's no like no good age. Yeah, right? I feel like there's a few responses, <laughs> and my children all have it right. Like yeah. Dom will do an emotion, uh, like an immediate emotional response, being like, "This is ridiculous," and yell, and then he's fine. Yeah. Fran is the why, but why, but why, but mm-hmm. why? Like, <laughs> and like no matter how many times you reiterate, she's like, "Yeah, but why." And it's like, because I said so, right? Right. <laughs> like, you eventually like just like, because I said so, Fran. And, you know, Sophia is a baby. She's not aware of any of that. So I'm, I'll be curious. The only she, good age. The, the only good age. <laughs> Before the age of She reason. just cries for fun. Um, but, yeah, I, 
I, I, that really resonates with me. That experience similar of a coach, right? Like yeah. coaches also make exactly. decisions that you're like, yeah, don't really agree with that, but I'm the player. I'm not the coach. And I'm yeah. going to, I'm thinking of I'm McCarthy go and his time management right now. Terrible. Yeah. It Cowboys. Is terrible. We're, we're talking yes. Cowboys now. So, um, as you wear your Eagles hat. That's true. It's true. Hey, you. at least, yeah, at least I can say I'm not a bandwagon fan. It's not like I just wear it when they win the Super Bowl because they've won one in the last 10 years, unlike some, yeah, teams, some other teams. But, um, like the Houston Texans. <laughs> I want to. <laughs> I want to, before we finish, just say, so for somebody, um, you know, uh, on a practical sense, they're dealing with something from management at work, from their parent, from... Um, some authority figure. Um, what are some good guiding principles? Mm. We always say this, but pray. Yeah, you know, um, pray for them. Pray for them. Pray, pray for, for yourself. Pray for yourself. Um, I, I think this is a great time to lean into the gifts of the Holy Spirit in reference to what we're given at, at the sacrament of confirmation, right? Right judgment, counsel, you know, like piety, fortitude to keep going, like relying on those gifts because I do think there is an element that we can continue. It shows our character in these moments to say, are we creating more divisiveness or are we, um, are we can still struggle, but where are we turning during that struggle? Are we talking more to other people than we're talking to God? Yeah. 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 For sure. And I think, cause venting isn't really, I think if you like, have true friendships yeah, where I can be like, between, Father Paul, I'm struggling with this. Let's talk it out. There's a difference between but, commiserating and venting. But the image of yeah. venting, right? Like you're trying to get get the, the heat out. Right. <laughs> but it tends to let the oxygen in and the fire just grows. Yeah. Um, and to just put it frankly, most of the venting I see is on social media. And that's never good because it's not in person. You can't have a real dialogue. And then people yeah. get more offended, more hurt. I know you're not on like Facebook, but as you know, part of my job, oh, yeah, I have my Facebook. Twi- my, my TikTok just <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> but I, I, um, I mean, that's why I honestly really only post like family pictures or birthdays or this or that because I'm like, I, I just don't want to engage in that. That's not real. The anonymity to me. of it. Even it, even the relative anonymity of not being there in person, even if your name and your picture's up, like it it makes you say things that you wouldn't right. otherwise. Yeah. Um, Have face to face authentic conversations. Yeah. You know, that's what I would say with that. And third is pray for the gift of obedience. Not like you know not a slavish obedience. Yes, exactly. Not, a, not even like a military style, like I'm just following orders. Like we're called towards the obedience of sons um, and not anything less than that. Right. Like, didn't I hear a story? Um, sons and daughters. Right. <laughs> sons and daughters. I think I've heard this story before. Don't know if this is one of those like folklore stories or if it's actually true, but um, Padre Pio, right? When mm-hmm. he received the stigmata. Yeah. That's investigated by yeah. the bishop. Oh, yeah. It's it's a very bold thing to yeah. claim, and um, the church is immediately suspect. Exactly for good reason. For good you, reason. You would be amazed. I'm not even in a position where I see tons of like delusions or imposters, right? But I, yeah, it's for good reason. But with that, 
Okay, we go to Padre Pio. He's a canonized saint. From what I've read and understood, um, some people have said to pray to Padre Pio for um, just that gift of obedience because during that time when you're being investigated, he was not allowed to do public ministry. Yeah. Like there was a sus- like a suspending of like, you're not allowed to do public ministry. Um, and I don't know what that looked like privately, you know, what he was allowed to do, but he didn't say I'm leaving. He didn't say, um, right. Like he take it a step further. He didn't kind of do what Martin Luther did, <laughs> which was, you know, Hey, we're asking for this obedience with this. We understand you're having some issues with the Bible, right. And a bunch of other things. And there's two different responses. Padre Pio waited for that, you know, declaration and then was able to go back to public ministry. Martin Luther, you know, posted the things on the door and the rest is history. Early social media. Right. And I don't know how great of an example that is, but at least I know at times in my life, I've prayed to Padre Pio um, just to help with that gift of obedience when I don't understand something Mm -hmm. and to continue to turn to the Lord for my truth and my worth and my dignity and my understanding instead of to man. Yeah. So I don't and, know. I toss that out. I don't know. You'll probably be like later after the podcast, you're like, that story is not true. You just <laughs> no, heretical. I don't know if they were as sort of polite to Martin Luther. Like, right. Just, I know you have some issues with the Bible. <laughs> like, but other than that, yeah, I think I don't have issues with that. I, I'll also just share, like, those are really good points. Um, and I'll also just share, like, for me, over these last several months since the motu proprio, um, I think I've made it clear, like, it was hard. It was a shock. Um, I don't really understand the decision. I'm not convinced that it was, like, the best decision, at least for the people that right. I know. Um but there have been a lot of fruits in my own struggle with obedience in this. And so, mm-hmm. like, I, I do want to share that. Um, like, it, it's, and I don't want people to hear this and just be like, oh, well, you just roll over anytime. Like, we're called to the obedience of sons. Yep. Um, and that means that there's all the struggles of, like, being in a family uh, and obedience with with your your father or your your mother or whatever like the decisions of your parents that you you don't necessarily agree with um, there are some things that you can change there's some influence that you have uh, in a family right mm-hmm. it's not your parents don't want you just to like go to your room and close your door and not talk to them anymore and be like no right. no I'm being obedient what you said <laughs> like <laughs> um like they want you involved in this, but there are also things that you can't change and being able to recognize, like just to use the the sort of sphere of influence language, like being able to recognize the things that you can and distinguish them from the things that you can't change. And then for the stuff that you can't change, that's, that becomes a real opportunity to like grow in kind of a passive obedience, which looks like a trust and, and a humility right and for the things that you can change like then it it's also a type of a type of growth in humility of like my dad wants me involved in this um 
And that means that he wants also some change in my heart and my, in my mind, um, about this thing. Right. And so can I at least see where he's coming from? Right. Can I find some common ground where I can start to, to assume that he doesn't always like act out of the worst motives. Right. But has my real good in mind. Um, like that's that's a really important place for conversion of heart in ourselves yeah. uh, to take place, and obedience then becomes like a gateway into growth and charity, which is that's what holiness is—the perfection of charity. Right. So I've I've just I've seen some I've certainly seen like the struggles in myself, right. even just practically. What do I do? But I've also seen a lot of fruit in myself. Um, coming about as a result of this situation that I wish had not happened. Right. Um, so like, I don't know, just to encourage you all, like we all have different versions of this. Yeah. Not everybody is, <laughs> is like hearing this and thinking of the motor proprio. Like there's plenty of other stuff, which is much more real life for them. But, and if that doesn't impact you, just yeah. think of every cliche phrase there is. Right. <laughs> When God closes a door, he opens, he opens a window. window. Oh. Or, right, isn't it? I don't even know the cliche phrases. That <laughs> That's right. Well, on behalf of, uh, well, hey, if you got a question, hey. reach out to us. <laughs> hey, I just thought I'd say that. Prodigal yeah. and the priest at gmail.com, stanamparish.org slash PTP. Um, we're just so happy to be back and be able to be chatting about these things here and having good people conversation so on behalf of uh joey scancella father paul becker we're going to take care god bless